0: Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church Podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. So maybe you're here today and you've heard the message of the cross, maybe you've heard the message of Easter, and maybe the winds of the culture feel very, very blowing very hard in your face. Maybe the winds of society today, maybe you are here in those pews and the winds of the society around you feel very overwhelming. You're not too sure what to think, and you are. There's a lot of different philosophies out there, a lot of different ways of trying to prove what the world is looking like, and maybe today that is you. Maybe today for you, you're not too sure what to think anymore about this message. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe this is the 68th Easter that you've been a part of. Maybe this is the first Easter that you've been a part of, and I just want to tell you that this story today is for the defeated among us, the confused among us, the disheartened among us, the frustrated among us, the worn out among us, the anxious among us, the downtrodden among us, the worn out. And maybe, the, the, maybe you are just a little bit, the Easter story has grown a little bit weary to you. Can't believe that like millions of people would follow a guy. And from centuries ago, how does this all seem possible? That we are all here today, and millions of Christians gathered around the world today to proclaim this one death and then life. How can we experience, how can, maybe you're asking yourself, how can I experience the newness of life that Jesus offers? Those who follow Jesus Christ, how can I follow this? Maybe you're like, man, I haven't found that yet. There's a lot of people that talk about hope and love, forgiveness. How can I find that today? Where is it? What happened there long ago? What difference does it make for me and for my life. You see, what if every single word of this story is absolutely true and you can trust it? What if Jesus is really who he says he is? What if the king of the universe is speaking directly to you and me today through the words of this book? What if what he says is truer than my circumstances? What will I see? What will my ears hear? What will the death and the resurrection, what would that death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, what would it look like to have one drop of his blood be the most powerful thing in this universe over any other thing? What if the dead and crucified Jesus came to back to life by the power of the Holy Spirit, and he's alive today, right now? What if, having conquered the enemy, he empowers us to do the same thing against sin, against addiction, against sin and death and curses, and against the hardness of our own hearts? What if his singular desire is for us to know the love in which the Father loved him before the foundation of the world? You see, it's just three words, three words that shape an entire following of Christians. Just three words that we hold tightly to the foundation of our faith. Three words, three words that will catch our attention or maybe simply allow us to gloss over it. Three words by which the peg of the faith by which we hold dear, we hang on to. Three words that fill church marquee signs and billboards where millions of Christians and fill churches this Sunday morning. Three words, three words that hang on an entire faith and worldview. Three words that changed the trajectory of the apostles and those first disciples after following a man after three years. Maybe they thought it was all a waste of time. They thought maybe they gave up everything. Now here's this guy who went around town for three years claiming to be something that he is not. Maybe they said, man, people are just deceived by this thing. And so are we. You see, we put ourselves in the feet of those who had followed Jesus, given up everything to follow Him. And that one Easter morning, three words that changed the course of their lives. And at the time, they didn't know, but that morning changed the course of history for all eternity. Three words. He is not here. He is what? Risen. All of the weight of their own personal journeys and the weight of the hardship is matched in those three words. Millions of Christians gathered around that phrase, He is risen. But why? Why should we wrap ourselves around those three words? Why should why should we do this? Because our whole Christian faith and reasoning is behind these three words today. He is risen, and here's the great thing about this: is whether you grew up in church or you did not, whether this is your sixty eighth Easter, whether it is not, maybe it's the first Easter that you have been a part of. That the resurrection account is based on eyewitness testimony. We take these words written down in the Bible as faith but the witness to the resurrection is valid because people saw Jesus after the resurrection so maybe you're like okay but like what so what maybe your questions are this so what difference does it make so what does it solve anything does the resurrection so what does it solve anything You see, everything hinges on the resurrection of Jesus Christ for the Christian faith. Everything hinges on this day, and the entirety of our faith hangs on the peg of the resurrection. John Stott, he's an author, he says it like this. Without Jesus' resurrection, there's no good news in Christianity. Christianity is, in its very essence, a resurrection religion. The resurrection lies at its heart. If you remove it, Christianity is destroyed. You see, we are resurrection people. And if you're a Christian, you live in the light of the risen Jesus. You live alive among the world. Whereas the world's darkness caves in, the light of the gospel shines forth amongst the winds of this culture, which can feel very dark and feel very hard, blowing very hard in our faith. Yet the resurrection, church, is indication that God did not want us to stay dead, nor did he want us to be dead. In 1 Corinthians 15, the apostle Paul who had his life transformed, Paul of all people had a life who was broken and a life that was not following the Lord and a life who wanted Christians dead, miraculously turned around by Jesus' power and his resurrection. He says this in 1 Corinthians 15, for what I received, I passed on to you as of what? First importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that raised on the third day, and then he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. This is of first importance in the Christian faith, not last. Absolutely critical to understanding who Jesus is, and his relationship to us, and his work in the world around us. And I just want for a minute today to put the shoes on those disciples, like putting our shoes on the feet of those disciples, early followers of Jesus. And he had gained quite a following. Jesus had gained quite a following. He had healed the sick, and he was bringing the kingdom of God to earth, called people to fellowship and discipleship, broken bread with people, and these people got them around the table. He got very intensely personal with people and touched and healed the blind, and then, boom, gone. Their mind, just a few days ago, watched a limb and beaten and broken body hanging from two wooden beams, and his mother was just nearby beard plucked out struck in the face flesh ripped open a crown of thorns shoved in his skull thorns pressing into his temple he had walked a long winding road down the hill only to be beaten and whipped the man you'd followed and given up everything to follow had now and all of that and everything he did and said was gone and done you see all of those disciples they had these 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 four things they had four of these things that they had experienced on that day. And maybe you are sitting here today and you've experienced some of this and you're sitting in this pew and you have experienced some of this in your own personal life. Death, maybe they lost, at at that particular point in time, they'd experienced a death of faith, death, death of experience, a death of relationships, death of expectations. All of that fell on that day when Jesus had died and those disciples who had followed him had experienced all of that and maybe those expectations line the thought of your heart. Maybe your experience has not measured up to what it could be, or should be, or ought to be. Maybe you've been battered and bruised by relationships and just have not gone the way that you'd hoped for. Maybe the expectations of everything just have been shattered and you're sitting in the pew rethinking the countless times those expectations have not turned out the way you'd hoped it to be. All of these emotions happened on those three days between the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. All of those emotions happened for those followers at Easter. When Jesus is crucified, it says in Luke twenty three, forty four, it was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he had breathed his last. You see, this is the truth, church. This is the truth about the resurrection, the truth for you today, if you're sitting here. For every person's hardest days, darkest nights of the soul, and profoundest regrets, there is an Easter sunrise breaking in for you. For every person's hardest days, darkest nights of the soul, profoundest regrets, there is an Easter sunrise waiting for you. Amen. Loss rejection, regret, confusion, fear filled the lives of those early days after the death of Jesus Christ. So let's go to the story. And might we today be met with this story as if we are reading it for the first time? And I know many of you have heard this. But might we be met with surprise as we read this story for the first time with fresh eyes out of this Easter message. If you have your Bible, you can grow there. Luke 24, it's going to be in the Bible in front of you if you want to grab that, page 749. Luke 24, it's going to be on the screen behind me as well. And uh, we at this church value uh, the preaching and teaching of the scriptures and make sure you find a church that does the same thing, preaches and teaches from the scriptures faithfully. Let's read Luke 24, verse 1. It says this, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. Back in those days, there, there would be a proper, in, in, the, in the land of the Bible, there were spices. This is a traditional burial practice and that the women were coming to pay homage to Jesus and to his body. And so this would have been a traditional practice um, in, in those days to bring spices to kind of prepare the body uh, for, for burial. And when they had found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and this this stone would have been way more than several tons, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. When they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood before them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you not look for the living among the what? Dead He is not here. He has what? Risen. Remember how he told you. While he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they all came back from the tomb, they told these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of Jesus, and the others with him who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. Luke's account, all of your gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell about Jesus and his life. Luke's account is telling us this, something really big has happened something really big has happened. And Luke is a doctor, and he's writing all this down. He's done his homework. He's writing all this, and he wants us to know that something big has happened. And he has set this up to tell us it's like a news event. So if you can think of like a newscast and a news anchor, He's telling us like this has happened as a news event. And the entirety of this gospel is to show that there's an orderly account of the things that have taken place. Luke wants us to know that there was women there at the first of the tomb. And we learn from other accounts that it's women who come to the tomb first, and specifically Mary Magdalene. You see, the resurrection is deeply personal. When people came to the tomb, when Mary came to the tomb, it shows us the resurrection of Jesus Christ is very personal. It touches ordinary lives With tremendous power god chooses to write the story of his son's glorious resurrection not simply by other means not simply by putting another news anchor there he does it through ordinary people the first people at the tomb are ordinary people and he shows us the testimony of women and women in the first century in the land of the bible could not have testimony in a court of law god weaves redemption through the greatest story, through the through millions and billions of people around the world are following Jesus Christ, and He does it through women, and God weaves this story of redemption out of an ordinary, of the mill disciple. In fact, the people who hear it first and who test- testify to the resurrection are people who the society at large wouldn't even trust, but yet that's in God's incredible grace and mercy that it comes to those who to those people. So that even the women in the first century are the first ones to hear the story and the first ones to go tell. God is so great and rich in mercy. And he writes this story with ordinary people. You see those, those, those words, seven words are this. He is not here, he has risen. The best seven words of the Bible to a woman who the society deemed untrustworthy, skeptical, they were, they were deemed to be unreliable. And yet God chooses women to be the subject of the eyewitnesses of his son's death the story's got to be true. In those days, a woman's testimony was so outlandish that, it wouldn't, it would, that people just would not deem it untrustworthy in those days, unheard of. But God chooses those people, and God chooses you, people like you and I, people like you and I, to display his crazy love for people whose past don't exclude them from the tomb. And it's God's, in this way, saying, and for Mary Magdalene, and in verse 8, that she tells us that she is still fearful and joyful all at the same time. But you see, Mary Magdalene coming to the tomb first shows us that Jesus and God in his divine mercy would say to us, I've come to settle the fact that I love you too much to not exclude anybody from following me. Anybody can follow me. Anybody can experience my love and grace. Anybody can experience the truth of the resurrection. This does not exclude anybody out of this. This is for everybody, a message for everybody. In fact, here's how I'm going to display this. I'm going to choose a woman who who everyone would deem unworthy in that day. She's going to be the first person I will meet at the tomb. And it's God's way of saying, I'm for you. This story is for you here today in these pews here today. And the the moment Jesus meets his disciples is proof that God loves human beings. God loves us so much in our own brokenness, in our own lostness, that God would meet us at the empty tomb. But the fact is that God looked at human hearts as he did, just as Mary Magdalene, and he looks past our failures. He looks past it all, and he stands there to Mary. And Mary's been shedding tear after tear and tired and weary, and after the earthquake, and Matthew tells us about the earthquake that happened, and sees an angel, and Jesus says to her this. Matthew's gospel adds this detail for us. He says these words right to Mary. Maybe this is you. Do not be afraid. There is nothing to fear. I am risen. I have conquered life's greatest enemy, which is death. I promised I would be with you always, and I'm here right now. I have not abandoned you. I have not turned my back on the people I so dearly love. There is nothing to fear in life. I've taken fear. I've placed it on two wooden beams on the cross, and I've done it. So you don't have to fear anymore. I've taken the fear of death. I've undone it, and the fear of guilt and shame and pain, the very fears of losing a child, the fears of losing a loved one, brother, sister, mother, son, or daughter, It's the very fear of dying that's cast because those who believe in Jesus as their Savior go on to live with Him forever and ever. Notice this question. Did you notice the question in verse 5? Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Notice it's in their fright that He met them. And we read that verse. And we say, well, yeah, there's no, I mean, yeah, He's dead, so going to look for His body obviously, right? They're looking for Jesus's body to honor it, but we know that Jesus's followers follow not a dead king, but an alive king. We serve a king who just wouldn't stay dead. (coughs) Excuse me. We serve a king who just would not stay dead, and he's still, sometimes we still think he's dead, but he is alive, and he's alive and well in our midst, and he resurrects us over the power to defeat death, and if he's defeated death, He's defeated every enemy imaginable for you. The truth is, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've gone. It doesn't matter who you've become. The truth is this. The sanctifying, redeeming, justifying, snatching back out of the hand of the devil, blood of Jesus reached to the ends of the earth for you. And you can always come home. This side of the grave, no mess is too big and no one is too far gone. No mess is too big, and nobody is too far gone. You see implications of the resurrection. This gives us this. The power of the resurrection gives us power over sin, but God demonstrates in his own love for this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God bridged the divide between God and man by spilling his own blood for the cross and defeating death. He did it while you and i were still sinners while you and i were still in rebellion all the way on the other side of the aisle away from god and he chose you and me anyway you may be asking what does this got to do with me what does it, what does this make in my life a difference you see all of us are separated by sin sin is a sin is deadly it separates us from god and we're all born apart from god in a state of sin. Jesus came and mediated that relationship. God sent His one and only Son to die for you so that you can experience eternal life. In our deepest moments, our most reflective moments, we are all hoping for a better world, a greater sense of perfect peace and justice and righteousness, and sin is the cause of that. But for those who are in Jesus Christ, we have hope of eternity. We have hope now and hope through eternity. You see, one author said it like this, and I think this is true. Sometimes, church, it feels hard being Easter people in a Good Friday world. What do I mean by this? Oftentimes, our world is experienced of that of a Good Friday. Suffering and doubt and loss and rejection and tension and hurt and pain and hardship. And often we live in this tension of being in a Good Friday world but being Easter people. And yet, Jesus calls us to be Easter people. Living in victory. Maybe we've got to... Maybe for for you, for what this moment means, being Easter people in a good Friday world, when life starts to happen, discouragement kind of starts to set in, and things maybe don't happen the way you planned for, and things just go by the wayside. And Let me just say, there's an Easter sunrise waiting for you. There's an Easter sunrise waiting for you. God hasn't stayed dead, and neither can it for you. God hasn't stayed dead and won't stay dead despite our best efforts for him to stay dead and he's still alive and he's still waiting in a empty tomb for you on this side of Easter. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. The resurrection means that the life that that life lives in you. And you if you are in Christ, the resurrection is your story. The resurrection is your story. Another implication of this, why the resurrection? The power of hell is no more. Easter confronts us with the reality of eternity and what that will look like for all of us. I'm reminded that this world is just a very small speck in terms of what eternity in terms of eternity. Eternity is forever. It reminds me, as I was looking at this, it reminds me of the story of Kayla Montgomery. There's a lot of runners out there, a lot of runners, uh, and uh, especially just around uh, everywhere. Kayla Montgomery was from North Carolina, and she was just different. She had multiple sclerosis, a disease that runs and interferes with the communication between her brain and spinal cord and legs. When she was 14, she fell at a soccer game, and thus began her journey with MS. She said that she wanted to continue to run, And said when the race starts she feels everything in her body but just after the first mile marker she lost feelings and she will lose feeling in her legs the momentum is what keeps her legs moving and once i once they stop they just fall from underneath me and her coach waits at the finish line every race to catch her to keep her from falling at the finish line she is kept there You see, it is safe in in Jesus Christ, the resurrection means, if you're in Christ, it is safe to die. That when we go through this life, that when we run through this life, then we run the race throughout this life, we have Jesus Christ waiting for us in the arms of eternity. We have somebody waiting for us in the arms of eternity. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And we see when God calls us home, we run the race, and we will await that embrace with our heavenly Father. We go through this life as Good Friday people, living into the truth of the resurrection, abiding in the good news of Jesus's resurrection, ailments and sicknesses and diseases, conflicts, you name it. But we live into the power of a victorious King A victorious life through Jesus Christ who victoriously defeated death on Calvary. And out of that grave he rose. And we look forward that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved and eternity awaits for you one day. Life abounds. 1 Corinthians 15 reminds us, Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Also, the implication of the resurrection is this. The power, we can live freely for God, and we can live freely for other people. If eternity is the front view mirror of life, then it means that we can live victoriously in and through this life right now. You see, we can see our momentary struggles and troubles as pass throughs this life. It also speeds up the reality of heaven winning and hell losing. There are more people in need of the message of Jesus Christ. More people needing to be followers of Christ, exercising the power to forgive. More people needing Christ's followers to live in victory. People People needed to shine light in the darkness, to live into the truth and the power of the resurrection. People needing to repent and believe the gospel. More people, real people of western Pennsylvania, living into the truth, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to be on mission to seek and to save the lost and to set people free from their bondage of sin and death. Too many of our neighbors and loved ones living, not living in the freedom of the gospel. It reminds me of this story of this personal friend of mine, his name's Zach, and li- living through the truth of the resurrection. My friend Zach, Zach and his wife KP found out they were pregnant and they were preparing for the room and everything and they were painting, they're pregnant and painting the room for everything for their newborn baby, when one day they were hit with the news that nobody wants, that they were going to lose the baby. She would have a very limited life, only hours outside the womb until she'd pass away into the arms of Jesus. Zach's story is one that he was an, actually an Orthodox Jew growing up, only Christian in his family, grew up in a home that didn't follow Jesus, became a Christian in high school, and they named her Esther Joy, as she was delivered. And he wrote about how the message of the resurrection in light of of Esther's death. And he said this, these poignant words about this. Did you know that there's an expiration date on graves? Did you know there's an expiration date on funerals? Sometime soon, funerals won't exist. It'll be the day that heaven and earth kissed. Jesus will reign, we will sing, and Satan will be squished squished along with death and sickness and sadness. I'm trusting and leaning on expiration dates. Thank God that there is an end to funerals and death and graves. This is what Easter raves about, as the work of Christ waves all the guilt Satan claims, all of our sins chains, and the brokenness of decades. Zach is leaning into the truth of the resurrection in the present time, leaning hard in the present hope, and the ultimate future of hope that one day he will see her again. There will be a day, church, there will be a day when there is no more domestic violence, no more fraud, no more infertility, no more miscarriages, no more Parkinson's, no more Alzheimer's, no more abuse or physical abuse, no more sleepless nights, no more poverty, no more injustice, no more bullying, no more unemployment, no more anxiety, no more depression, more ventilators, no more leukemia, no more back surgeries, no more blindness or deafness or power struggles, no more migraines, no more human trafficking, no more broken and split families, no more wildfires. no more migraines, no more human trafficking, no more alcoholism, no more kidney stones, no more car accidents, no more post-traumatic stress disorder, no more bombings or no more funerals. No more psychologists or psychiatrists. No more people who are paralyzed. No more pollution. No more rejection. No more opioids. No more ibuprofen or Tylenol. No more breakups. No more loneliness. No more nightmares. No more perfectionism. No more death will be no more. For the follower of Jesus, you will live forever. Life has the final word. Do you know Jesus and do you believe in the truth of the resurrection? Do you believe it? Death defeated forever, meaning that the truth of the resurrection lives on, church. It's a present reality in which God will never snatch back that truth and say, you know what, you've listened to me before, you've heard this story before, this is the 10th Easter, you've heard the story, and, and it might, you might have gotten lost in it. He will never do that. He will never turn that message back from you. He's not going back there and to say, you're not worth it. You just didn't get it before but this truth is an invitation church this is important the truth is an invitation that jesus invites us into this living hope your story can be told in the light of the resurrection death to life newness to life the old is gone the new is here sins washed away by the spotless lamb of god jesus reigns victorious now and forever and ever and by his resurrection we are set free the stone is rolled away Jesus is alive. He will just not stay dead. And by His grace, we can all rise and live by His victory, and we can be victorious. I'm reminded of this, church, if you'll say this with me, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And because of the victory of the Son, Despair and death, all gone. In light of the sun, it doesn't mean we experience that now, but we can live and believe into the truth that Jesus Christ is alive and he is doing something in this world and he's making us new creatures. That we can face tomorrow despite life's trials. That that power is available to you. As that song goes, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future and his life is worth the living just because he lives. God would send his one and only son to prove to us and to show you and to invite you into a story that's about eternal life. The final word, did you notice the final word of that verse is life. Life eternal, life now, and life eternal. Worship team, will you come up? as we sing. Um, As we've walked through this message today, as we've walked through the story of the resurrection, as we've walked through the goodness of God and the goodness of Jesus, maybe the Lord's stirring up in your heart, there is an invitation. And the most important thing that we can do today as a church family and to offer this, is that there is a resurrection Easter morning waiting for everybody, an Easter sunrise waiting for everybody, and it doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been, where life has taken you, that the, maybe, the, maybe the sin has kind of piled up, or you feel that a little bit, but in the light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, all of that is washed away, and you are a new person. If anyone's in Christ, they are a new creation, old is gone and the new is here. And I just want to offer that to you today, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. And the most important thing that we can do today is to offer this free gift of confessing that Jesus is Lord for our whole life and confessing with our mouth so that we can live with him now and we can live with him forever. If you've never done that prayer, I just kind of would like to offer that right now in this moment. So if you'll kind of bow your heads with me, if this is a prayer that you have never prayed before, or if you would like to say yes, if you feel the Spirit of God saying, you know what, yes, it is time, I'd like to rededicate my life, or I'd like to do this for the first time. Would you just pray this prayer with me in your own heart? Father, I have sinned and fallen short, but today... I trust you because you died and you live and you reign on your throne and you're making all things new. So today I confess that you are Lord and I confess that that you are Lord in this place. Forgive me of my sin and I trust you and I want to walk with you. with all your uh, heads bowed and eyes closed, if you maybe prayed uh, prayed that prayer for the first time, I'd love to know that. If you would raise your hand, if you prayed that prayer maybe the first time today, I would love to know if you prayed that prayer for the first time. Amen. God bless you. We'll close with this prayer and then we'll sing. Father, we come before you and we ask God that you would live and reign in us and reign in our church. God, we thank you for all that you've done. We live, we walk out of here in newness of life, in a living hope that we are alive people, that we live and reign and walk in the light of the resurrection, and we can walk knowing that you've defeated the the grave. We can face tomorrow, we can face what the next hour holds, we can face what our future holds because of what you have done through your son, Jesus. And might we give you the praise and glory and honor. That all, for all that you've done and all that you are doing and will do in this place, for all that you are and your strong son's mighty, powerful, resurrected name we pray, the church said together. Amen. 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 Will you stand with us as we sing Living Hope together?